I pray, Lord, that for the rest of this time together, we would just bask in your love. That we would receive just as we need the cross. We honor you, Lord Jesus Christ, for dying willingly that we might live. By your stripes, we are healed. God, it was your good plan, Father. Christ, thank you for dying. Spirit, thank you for mediating uh, the presence of Christ day by day. It's in your name, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we pray. Amen. Please have a seat. Great to see everybody. We are in a series on Hebrews. I uh, Hebrews? Acts. <laughs> that would be a good one. We'll get there. We are in a series on Acts, the early church. And uh, I've been finding it rich. In fact, I thought, I'm gonna, well, let's extend this series. So we're going to actually uh, just continue throughout the summer in the book of Acts. We're going to finish the book. So does that excite you? Yes, yes. Who wants to, like, leave it halfway? I was like, that's not, we've got to finish this thing. So we're going to go for it. Um, today, we are looking at the story of the conversion of the Ethiopian eunuch, which is a great story, and it's going to, um, it's going to open up this whole um, a discussion about baptism and uh, what is baptism? Why do Christians get baptized? What does it do? What does it mean? First, let me go ahead and just read the story. Acts chapter 8, starting in verse 26. Now, an angel of the Lord said to Philip. Now, Philip, by the way, was our hero last week. Philip brought the gospel to the Samaritans. And that was a big deal. Rise and go toward the south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert place. And he rose and went. God had for Philip a divine intersection. Literally. And there was an Ethiopian, a eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians. By the way, uh, it's... The capital for this um, kingdom was in modern-day Sudan, who was in charge of all her treasure. He had come to Jerusalem to worship and was returning seated in his chariot. No airplanes. Took a long time to uh, travel from Sudan to Jerusalem and back. And he was reading the prophet Isaiah. And the Spirit said to Philip, Go over and join this chariot. So I love this. Uh, this is absolutely a divine intersection. In fact, we don't know where Philip was when, uh, when he was told by God, get up and go to this very specific place down south. And it just so happens that at the moment Philip arrives, so does this Ethiopian eunuch in his chariot. A, a literal divine intersection. The Spirit said to Philip, go over and join this chariot. Verse 30, so Philip ran to him. He didn't delay, I like that. He ran to him and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and asked, do you understand what you are reading? And he said, how can I unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come up and to sit with him. Uh, so I like this. Uh, the Lord uh, arranges the divine intersection, but then it, of course, is Philip's responsibility to take it from there and use his uh, divine, or uh, his um, imagination and his initiative to enter into and uh, capitalize on this evangelistic moment. 
And so he invites Peter to come up, Peter, uh, Philip to come up and sit with him. Now the passage of the scripture that he was reading was this. And it gives us a snippet of that text that we read a larger portion of, which is clearly uh, a, a messianic uh, prediction of Jesus. Like a sheep he was led to the slaughter, and like a lamb before its shearers is silent, so he opens not his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation? For his life is taken away from the earth. Isn't it interesting that he just so happened to be reading that text at that moment? And the eunuch said to Philip, About whom, I ask you, does the prophet say this? About himself or about someone else? He's wanting to know. Uh, who, who's being talked about here in the Bible? Then Philip, after having been lobbed a softball, actually doesn't say it, just says, then Philip opened his mouth, and beginning with this scripture, he told him the good news about Jesus. And as they were going along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, see, here is water, what prevents me from being baptized? And he commanded the chariot to stop, and they both went down into the water, Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. And when they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord carried Philip away, and the eunuch saw him no more, and went on his way rejoicing. So we're going to talk about baptism today, but I want to make a few uh, uh, remarks first about this text, and then we'll get into that. Uh, number one is this. If you, uh, if you honestly are seeking for God, he will reveal himself to you. Uh, I think that just jumps out of the text here. Anyone who honestly wants to know God, God will reveal himself to that person, and he will, he will go to some pretty extreme lengths to make that happen. The Ethiopian unit, he wanted to know God. He had traveled all the way from Sudan to Jerusalem so he could worship the living God. He's reading the Bible. He wants to know God. God sees his heart, and God says, all right, Philip, you need to, you need to move. If you honestly want to know God, he will reveal himself to you. What, a, what an encouraging uh, truth. What a comforting truth. No matter where you are on planet Earth, it doesn't matter if you're hidden in a jungle, a cave, uh, somewhere planes can't get to, uh, God will somehow reveal himself to you. Second thing I want to point out, God reveals himself how? He reveals himself through a presentation of the gospel. God reveals himself to the Ethiopian eunuch through another human telling him about Jesus. So when God reveals himself to you, if it comes in, an, in, in the gospel, is that enough? And so the third point is the Ethiopian eunuch had to respond, right? God reveals himself. He reveals himself through a presentation of the gospel, the good news about who Jesus is. Jesus is the son of the living God, but he willingly went to the cross, took upon himself the penalty for our sin. If we will place our faith in him, if we will follow him, our sins will be forgiven. The spirit of the living God will indwell us and we will ultimately live with God forever in eternity. The good news. But you gotta, you got to be able to, uh, willing to respond to it. And if you say, well, God, I want you. I just don't want to have to be a Christian. I don't want to be a part of that whole Jesus stuff. It's so, ugh. 
Well, God says, I, I have revealed myself to you in the person of my son, Jesus Christ. So if you're here today and you are seeking God, God is revealing himself to you today through a presentation of the gospel, the good news of his son, Jesus. Will you respond? And if you do, what's the end? The end is you go away rejoicing. Rejoicing at what God has done for you. He forgives your sins. You're reconciled to him. And you have the hope of eternal life in your heart from that point on. That's awesome. And God wants that for you. Will you respond? So let's turn now to baptism. Because this text, uh, here we are, we're uh, in the... Uh, looking at the early church, the story of the gospel going forth, and we've encountered multiple times uh, the command to be baptized, uh, but here it just sort of jumps out us in this text. So let's talk about it. And I w I'm going to talk about baptism by uh, asking some questions that I then, I then try to answer. So we're going to get a little bit what they call s kind of systematic theology for a bit. Uh, I can't help but be a little bit of a teacher here. First question is this, uh, what does baptism mean? What's its significance? Why are, what does it picture? Why do we Christians do this? Uh, baptism pictures three things. Number one, it pictures the fact that our sins have been washed away. In Acts chapter 22, verse 16, we read, And now why do you wait? Rise and be baptized and wash away your sins. The Christian has had his or her sins washed away, and baptism uh, uh, pictures that. Number two, it pictures the fact that we have been united with Christ in his, bapt uh, in his death and resurrection. Romans chapter 6, verses 3 and 4. Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death. We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. And so baptism is a, uh, one of these that pictures going down into the grave and coming, coming back. It pictures the fact that we have been united with Christ in his death and resurrection. And then uh, finally, uh, it is a picture of the fact that since we are in Christ, we are a part of his body, the church. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 13. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. So that's the, that's the meaning of baptism. Now let's talk about what effect does it have on us what change does it, uh, does it um, make upon us spiritually? And um, here, let me just say, uh, Christians who love the Word of God and try to deal respectfully with it uh, and who love, uh, love the things of God don't all agree on this. So uh, I'm going to give you the four kind of major positions here that uh, Christians hold and then talk about uh, the one that I hold in that we here at Clearwater Church practice. But I uh, present this uh, in humility. A church has to take a position, right? You have to practice baptism a certain way, and so we have our practice, um, but we hold it 
um, with humility uh, in, in um, relationship to our other brothers and sisters in Christ. There are four major views on baptism's effect upon us. The first is the Roman Catholic view. And the Catholics say baptism regenerates you spiritually. It makes you spiritually alive. It saves you. And, and the Catholics say that, furthermore, they say baptism, if performed by an ordained priest, uh, is effective regardless of the faith of the person being baptized. It operates ex opera, ex opera operato. It is effectual in and of itself. Therefore, they are willing to baptize infants because the infant will be regenerated. In fact, they'll baptize anybody who wants to uh, because it is a, a sacrament, as they understand it means it imparts grace uh, to a person regardless of their faith. Uh, second position is called the uh, sacramentalist position. Lutherans are typically sacramentalists. And the sacramentalists... Uh, agree that baptism washes your sins away, and so in that they're like Catholics, but they say it must, however, be accompanied by faith uh, for it to be effectual, for it to truly wash your sins away. You've got to have faith. Um, however, sacramentalists will baptize infants, and when pushed on, hey, how does an infant have faith? Uh, they'll say there are two uh, responses. Number one, they'll say it's possible that infants have unconscious faith because they have not yet reached the age of accountability. And so when we baptize them, that kind of unconscious faith is uh, quickened, brought to life. Or their re response might be, um, the church has faith on behalf of the infant, vicarious faith that God honors until the child reaches the age of accountability. Then there are the covenantalists. Uh, covenantalists would be like uh, reformed or Presbyterians, and the covenantalists say, listen, baptism is the initiation rite into the people of God, into the covenant community. And in the Old Testament, it was circumcision. In the New Testament, it is baptism. In the Old Testament, the, um, the, the children of believers were circumcised. In the New Testament, the children of believers should be baptized. And what it does is it... it um, places you within the covenant community with its privileges. Now, covenantalists would say, listen, uh, it, baptism does not save you. It's not going to regenerate you spiritually. It must be, for it to be effective, once you reach the, reach the age of accountability, it must be accompanied by your own personal conscious faith in Jesus Christ. But between now and then, uh, you are a part of the covenant community, and you benefit from sort of being a part of that community. I think they would even go so far as to say your chances of having faith in personal conscious faith in Christ are higher uh, as a result. And then the final position that it is the position called symbolic, the symbolic view. Uh, and as symbolists would say um, baptism doesn't actually change you spiritually. It doesn't have any actual spiritual effect upon you, but it brings God's blessings. Um, and the blessings are, hey, we're commanded to be baptized. Therefore, there's always a blessing associated with obedience. There's the joy of going public with your faith in Christ. There's that, um, the, it, it's a boundary marker between the old me and the new me. 
there's the, uh, the satisfaction of um, my testimony might impact other people. And when you get baptized, you can't help but be reminded of who you are in Jesus Christ and all that he's done for you. So baptism uh, is a command to be obeyed, and it brings blessings, but it doesn't uh, you know, change anything in your life spiritually. What it pictures has already taken place. You're now just uh, kind of reenacting it and going public. So I, that's my personal uh, position. I am a symbolist, uh, and probably because I, I grew up a Baptist, right? Uh, they tend to be symbolic. And uh, so that's the practice. That's, how, that's what we practice here at Clearwater Church. Next question, who? Who should be baptized? Uh, virtually every Christian group says anyone who has personal conscious faith in Jesus Christ should get baptized. It's a command. Now, there is a very small group of Christians who believe it was for, uh, just for the early church and that it's no longer um, for today. Very small group. Uh, and we said Catholics say anybody who is willing to because it has, uh, you know, it's effective in and of itself. The sacramentalists, the covenantalists would say the children of uh, believers should be baptized, and, but it needs to be accompanied later with a personal, conscious faith in Jesus Christ. That's usually the process they call confirmation. And then you have uh, the symbolic view, which would say only those who have personal, conscious faith in Jesus Christ should be baptized. Now, what age? That depends on the person. Aubrey got baptized when she was five because she evidenced personal conscious faith in Jesus Christ, and she was pestering me about it. And finally, I'm like, you know, who am I to say no, right? Okay. There's a, another question, and the question, that's rebaptism. So people will often come to me and say, Mike, I want to get uh, rebaptized. And I'll say, why? They're like, well, because I, um, I was baptized when I was younger, and now I have a much a better understanding, and I love the Lord more, and I, I, just, I just want to do it again. Or they'll say, you know, I got baptized in the past, but then I sort of walked away from the Lord, and I got, you know, casual about the things of God, and I'm re-on fire, and I want to kind of go public again. I say no. In those situations, no, I'm not going to rebaptize you. Uh, rather, reaffirm your faith. Reaffirm your faith. But um, if you have been if you were baptized after an honest profession of faith in Jesus Christ, we don't rebaptize you. You just reaffirm your baptism. It was, uh, it was legitimate. Of course you're going to grow in your love for the Lord, and of course you're going to, in, in, uh, uh, hopefully your zeal for the Lord and your knowledge of the things of God will, will grow. Um, and if you sin, well, what does the Bible tell us to do? Repent. We don't go rebaptize. we just claim forgiveness because of who we are in Jesus Christ. Next question, how should we baptize? Uh, the mode of baptism, do we dunk them under the water? Do we sprinkle? Do we pour? And people get all uh, wrapped up in this. Now, you can't go wrong dunking people, right? Because uh, that's clearly, it happens a lot in the New Testament. So you know you can't go wrong there. And uh, our preference is, hey, when, when it's feasible, we're going we're gonna to immerse people. But 
Um, I certainly would not say that sprinkling pouring is illegitimate. Um, I'm, parts of the world where it's probably not feasible to, you know, fully immerse people because of the lack of water or something, right? Or maybe because of their health issues. So um, we practice whenever possible, we'll immerse, but we're certainly not um, hardcore about that. Another question would be, um, some churches would say only priests can baptize. It's not, it's not kind of legit unless there's an ordained, an ordained priest. We believe in the priesthood of all believers. And so any follower of Christ can baptize somebody in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Tracking with me so far? All right. Uh, next question and is the question of uh, baptism and salvation. Uh, do you need to be baptized in order to be saved? And that one I know you're not interested in, so we're going to move right on. Just kidding. I thought that was a... Okay. Do you have to be baptized in order to be saved? Acts chapter 2, verse 38. And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins. You read that verse? Faith, it, uh, you would say, well, okay, you've got to repent and you've got to be baptized if you want your sins forgiven. Um, however, if you look a little, if you think a little bit more about this, you'll realize that baptism is actually shorthand for faith in Christ in this verse. Um, it's, uh, yes. Next verse, you'd go to Mark 16, 16. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved. There we go. It's clear. Uh, now you've got a, so we've talked about repentance. Now you've got belief. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved. But if you continue reading, it says, but whoever does not believe will be condemned. So the next, the second half of the verse links condemnation to a failure to believe, not to a failure to be baptized. And so the logic there is, it's, it's what is repeated that is the uh, irreducible minimum, the necessity. And so uh, the irreducible minimum to, faith, uh, to salvation is faith in Jesus Christ. Baptism is not necessary for salvation, although it is uh, part, of the call, uh, part of the gospel call, and to be fully obedient, you must be baptized. Uh, Acts chapter 3, verse 19. Um, this is Peter preaching again. So the first text where he says, um, repent and uh, be baptized. That's Peter preaching his first sermon. Here's his second sermon. Repent, therefore, and turn back that your sins may be blotted out. The only thing he talks about here is repentance. But if you look at the context, what's he tell them, telling them to repent of? Their lack of belief in Jesus as the Messiah. He says, you just kill, you killed the author of life. Repent of that. So repent of your lack of faith. And then here's another, uh, another sermon of Peter's in Acts chapter 10, verse 43. Peter says, to him all the prophets bear witness that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. So here, the only thing he notes is belief. Everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. So the irreducible minimum is faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. 
Now, of course, the scripture says uh, it's possible to have the kind of faith that God does not honor with salvation. So if you were to come to me and say, uh, I have faith in Jesus, but I have no intention of repenting of my sins, I would ask, is that the real kind of faith, you know? Uh, I have faith in Jesus Christ, but I will not get baptized. I'm not going to go public with that. Why not? Is that the kind of faith that God calls for? All right, let us now, did I skip something? Okay, now let's get to the summary. Yeah, thank you. I was wondering if I had missed something before summary. So if you have your bulletin, I've gone ahead and summarized uh, our position here at Clearwater Church. Baptism, number one, baptism, so... Summarizing our position. Baptism pictures the fact that a Christian's sins have been washed away, that he or she has been united with Jesus Christ in his death and resurrection, and that he or she is part of Christ's body, the church. Number two, baptism does not change us spiritually, but we are blessed by it. Number three, personal, conscious faith in Jesus Christ is a prerequisite to baptism. Uh, we don't baptize infants here at, uh, at Clearwater Church. Although when my kids were, uh, I'm sympathetic to this, because when my kids were born, I thought, why not be a little, why not be safe? <laughs> and I almost went and got them baptized. <laughs> I'm glad they didn't die. <laughs> Number four. That was not prepared. Number four. We baptize by immersion whenever feasible. Number five, uh, we do not we do not rebaptize those who were baptized after an honest profession of faith in Jesus Christ. Instead, baptized Christians are encouraged to reaffirm their faith. Number six, we will baptize those who were baptized as infants. I should have put upon request. But we will also accept infant baptisms as legitimate if accompanied by personal conscious faith in Jesus Christ. So if somebody comes and says, hey, listen, I was baptized as an infant, but you know, since then I became a Christian and I want to go public, uh, I want to be baptized. We say, okay, we'll do that. Um, that doesn't count as rebaptism. However, if they say, look, I was baptized as an infant and I accept uh, what was done on my behalf as legitimate for me and I have personal conscious faith in Jesus Christ, then we would say, okay, we honor that. We don't, we're not going to push you to get rebaptized. Uh, and I guess that the next point, it kind of matters here in the next point. So verse 7, uh, one can be saved without being baptized, but one is not fully obedient until he or she has been baptized. Because the, the, call, the, New Test, the pattern in the New Testament, the call in the New Testament is repent of your sins, put your faith in Jesus Christ, and go public in baptism. And that was kind of the message that was proclaimed. And so uh, you want to come full circle. So uh, here in parentheses, uh, according, when we institute church membership, we will eventually uh, have church membership, baptism will be required to be a member of Clearwater Church. And so I guess that's why six comes into play. Hey, I was baptized as an infant, but I have personal faith in Jesus Christ. Okay, great. Finally, everyone who professes faith in Jesus Christ should be baptized. And now, let me, let me spike that. Go back to our text. 
Acts chapter 8. Look at the again at the response of the Ethiopian eunuch. So Philip has just proclaimed to him the gospel of Jesus Christ. And he says, they came to some water. The eunuch said, see, here is baptized. What prevents me from being baptized? Here's water. What prevents me from being baptized? Obviously, Philip included in his gospel proclamation a call to be baptized. Right? That's, clearly, that's evident. And uh, the, the eunuch wants to respond to the gospel. He has faith, and he's like, why can't I get baptized? Why, don't I, why can't I uh, kind of join this, this movement of Christ's followers? Jesus said, uh, told his disciples, go into all the world, make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And a number of the verses we've read, it's unambiguous. The Bible says, believe and be baptized. Go public with it. It is, uh, it is a proclamation that I am a follower of Jesus Christ. When I, was, I, I was a, became a Christian as a child, and I grew up in Baptist churches, and I don't know why they don't emphasize baptism more, <laughs> but I was 17 years old. I happened, to be, uh, I happened to be at the Anchorage Baptist Temple. Jerry Priva was preaching, and he, and he just said, uh, baptism is a command. If you haven't been baptized, you're not fully obedient to the commands of Christ. I'm 17 years old. I love the Lord with all my heart. And uh, that day, I'm like, what? Nobody ever told me that. And I, I was convicted, and I got up, and I went down, and I got baptized within the hour. I'm like, let's put this right. <laughs> and uh, so, I mean, up until, it's not like I didn't want to get baptized. It was just, well, yes, that's probably something I'll do someday. But then I felt an urgency, and I'm like, oh, I'm rectifying that right now. So, here we have a baptismal. And today, uh, Kayla Pusich is getting baptized. But I thought, after this message, there might be some of you. If you have faith in Jesus and have been baptized, and you, maybe you're like I am, and you're like, whoa, uh, I'm told to do it. I want to obey. So we do have some baptismal robes. I figured you don't have a second change of clothes, a change of clothes. So we've got some baptismal robes, some of my swimsuits, Clearwater T-shirts. and uh, But those are not see-through robes. So if you would like to get baptized today, we're actually prepared for you. So, uh, Chris, if Chris would start uh, heading back there, we're going to sing a song, then Kayla's going to baptize, but Chris is prepared to uh, outfit you and get you baptized today if you, if you want. So during the song, uh, why don't you just head back with Chris, and if we've got a robe that fits or some swim trunks that fit, uh, we can do that. Let's pray. Lord, it is a joy to go public with our faith. Lord, we are convinced that life in you is just simply good. And we want all that you have for us. And we want to be obedient, Lord. Lord, I'm so excited about Kayla getting baptized today. And Father, if there are other followers of Christ here, uh, who have yet to be baptized, I pray that you would, um, as you do, lovingly, gently encourage them to kind of put that on, on the fast track so that uh, we can be blessed. They can be encouraged in Christ. It's in your name we pray. Amen.